Hello, and welcome back to episode 14 of Pursuing the Cornerstone. So we missed a week last week because Robert went to the doctor, um, had a little episode. Oh, it was a big episode. And he pretty much couldn't talk, like, at all that entire week. Um, I had a meltdown. But as you can tell, him talking right now, the stutter is gone. Four weeks to the day. Yeah, so basically... He, this whole time, these four weeks, um, going to doctor after doctor, and they just keep telling him, like, basically, you're a medical anomaly. You just need to wait and see what happens. And so Robert is in the car with me four weeks from the time that he started um, stuttering and having all the problems. And we're on the phone with Cecilia. We're having a fire conversation about baptism. Next thing I know, he says a coherent sentence. And then he's like, wait, I didn't stutter. And then I was like, wait, you didn't stutter on that sentence either. And so from that moment, he has not stuttered since. He still has his other symptoms, but God is good and I can com- prove the doctor's wrong. I can communicate now, but we're still chasing doctors all over the stinking Midwest because my other symptoms are still present. But I can communicate and God is good because it was literally healing. There's no explanation. I'm thankful for everyone who has been praying and supporting me through this crazy time because I know there's a ton of you out there and I'm so thankful and so blessed to have God work in me this way because God performs miracles. Yeah. And I would say, I mean, it's kind of funny because last week the doctors told us it was going to be six months to a year probably before he was able to return to normal. And while it's still not normal necessarily, Mm -hmm. um, his voice is back, and that's been pretty cool to see, other than the fact he runs around the house screaming just to scare me. but And I have energy now. He has energy now. I'm For prepared. We're, me and Cecilia have prepared ourselves to be interrupted once again. But it's okay, because we're glad that he can talk again. And this is just proof that God is still active, and he's still good. And Jesus is hype. Jesus, okay, that's the most gangster thing you've ever said. <laughs> um, all right, guys. So last week we, or two weeks ago, we were starting on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. And per typical of us, we talk a lot and we don't cover <laughs> a lot of ground um, necessarily of what we plan to. So today we have just a few short verses, um, Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16, which I'm just going to go ahead and read um, to get us started. So it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. All right, so let me take this over and give some background before Robert goes crazy. Not that we're unhappy about that, but also Robert and Abigail are sitting next to each other, which is different than normal, so this should be kind of exciting. We'll see what actually happens. Abigail looks extremely tan in this camera. (laughs) That is true, too. just now looking at this camera. I told you that earlier. (laughs) Anyway, so Salt had a couple different or has a couple different purposes, but specifically in Jesus's time, salt would have been used for preserving food and purifying sacrifices. So if you can think of a world without refrigeration, they definitely needed salt or their food would have been gross really quick. (laughs) So um, 
basically this passage is talking about how it's Christians' responsibility for the preservation of the good things in society like morality, justice, and social conscience. Um, and so when we mix with the world, Jesus isn't saying, obviously, salt can't lose its saltiness. It's not possible. But if we are, um, if we mix with the world as Christians and we are defiled in that way, then we can lose our saltiness. So an example that I read was like the Dead Sea in Israel. Um, salt will come up from there and sit on the ground and it'll mix with chemicals and white powder and people will scrape it off and sell it as salt. But if you were to buy that salt, it would get you would have to throw it out because it would be worthless because it's not salty. And so I think that that's so important. And I've just been convicted recently that Satan is really good at, at his lies. And I think there's a lot of Christians out there that aren't standing on truth and are conforming to the world in a lot of ways and <laughs> are losing their saltiness because I think of Romans, Romans 12 yeah. verse two, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you may prove what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. I, in this, I did went through a study called rooted with my small group where everyone's about over the age of 50. And I'm like the youngest person there, really good people. I love them so much. Actually, there's another younger couple there, but love them so much. Anyways. And it also says in this book, it talks about this, and it says that salt was much more much more than a spice. Without re refrigeration or modern antiseptic, salt was a valuable commodity. It was used as a preservative to keep food, many times in short supply, from going bad. Also, in that area of the world, salt had a med medical value as it was mined from the mineral-rich Dead Sea and was effective in healing wounds and stopping infections. So in ancient times, salt could drastically affect the health of entire populations. So this says Jesus' point is that in a, in a world that is decaying and unhealthy, those who are the salt are the hope of, pre of preservation and healing. Yeah. And like your point, basically like oh. it says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be salty again? It's no longer good for anything. So like basically it loses its essence of why it was created. Mm. And that's exactly what we are created for a purpose. But when we conform to the world, we lose the foundation and the essence of why God created us in the first place. Well, and I think part of this too is what is tough about that is that it's really easy to conform to the world. Like it's easy to go along with the crowd and it's easy to do those things. But we see that Jesus calls us to sometimes a difficult life just because um, following him should bring persecution. And so if things are a little too easy for us, we probably need to look and make sure we're actually standing on the truth of scripture. Yeah. I would say like I mean, I, I had a really hard week last week and I called Cecilia and I was talking to her about it because I've kind of come to this conclusion, like, I mean, I've said it before, but like, it's actually starting to resonate with me that my sole purpose here on earth is to serve God in all that I do. Like, that is why I'm created is to glorify him and to, you know, like the great commission, go out and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And like, as a result of me pursuing this, life got really, really difficult like I started to question a lot of things and I started to like think about the idea of maybe I've been this like lukewarm Christian for most of my life. And no, we don't want to hear that, but there is a reality of like, you have to fully commit everything to Christ. And it was the toughest, like, it's still like, I'm still, I've been more in my head recently than I've probably ever been. And it's because when you truly start to dig deeper into who God is and trying to follow him, like it's not going to be easy and it's going to be completely countercultural. And I think that's the whole point. Like it's so hard to live in this world and yet not be of the world because our society, especially here in America, like we make it really difficult. Like think I was thinking back to 
like when I was in high school, when I was playing sports and stuff, like, or even when I was playing like travel ball, like you, you had to miss church in, in order to be a part of these things. And I remember being frustrated even when I was a kid, I was like, I'm missing church to play basketball. Like, how does that make any sense? And our world is so good at taking us away from who God is and like because being able to serve him. We're literally called to die to ourself. Yeah. Which is so, such a crazy concept. Like, yes. Yeah, so, you basically so, disown who you are as a human being. Cecilia, I can speak now. You can't interrupt me. <laughs> I'm allowed to interrupt. You interrupt all the time. This is this is valid. And then I'll let you get back. I'll be the interrupter once. James 4, 4 says, you adulteress, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Yeah. Now you can talk. <laughs> well, I think it all kind of comes back to priorities. Like, what do you value in life and where does God rank on that list? And if you're honest with yourself, because I had to come to terms with this, you are not going to like the results of where you, because you get so caught up in glorifying yourself and bringing attention to yourself and accumulating wealth here on earth or popularity here on earth or acceptance here on earth or, you know, being the cool kid or, you know, whatever, whatever it is. And when you come to terms with that, you realize, holy cow, my priorities are out of whack. And it doesn't matter how well, how well you know the scriptures until you come to terms with truly your priorities in life. And then that's when your life will adjust like Abigail's talking about. Yeah. Like, I think that's the question I had to start asking myself was like, okay, so I'm really good. If I'm reading my Bible, I'm really good at being a Christian. Like it's easy, right? It's easy. You're sitting there reading Bible. You're like, okay, God, like I see you. But then you get out into the world or even just like in your daily life. Like I keep, I'm stuck on this whole idea of serving God in the mundane, but like, even like when I'm, so I'm doing summer classes this summer, when I'm sitting at home working at summer classes, how can I glorify God in that? And I think it's as simple as just being grateful, like just being, instead of like complaining or like things like that, like if you can turn every single thought back to how am I serving God into this? And that's absolutely changed my perspective on almost everything. Like even when I start to get mad about something or when I start to get frustrated or I don't want to do something, like my whole heart has changed because I immediately think, okay, but am I glorifying God by having these thoughts or and I, Cecilia and I were like, we're going to start memorizing scripture every week. And we did it once. We, we did James, or yeah, James 119. And it says, um, part of it says the righteousness or the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And that's something that I've had to say to myself over and over again, because a lot of times on here, we talk about like the big things, like the big sins or like, I guess, big sins in quotation marks, but like the things that we see are easy traps of the world. But I would say even the small things of like, your pride or your anger or your jealousy, your comparisons, like those are things you have to get control of as well. And I think that's when it's hard to point things back to God. But like we keep saying like your sole purpose here on earth is to serve God. So are those actions reflecting it every single day? Are you serving the creator or the creature? Or is that, at, is that in Corinthians, Cecilia? That verse I'm talking about? I feel like this may be a Romans thing, but okay. I can love but that's the question right there. Are you yeah. serving the creator of the universe or the creature that crawls around trying to pull you away from the creator of the universe? Yeah. I think so let's let's go on to the next um little part of this, verses 14 and 15. It says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket but on the lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. So I was reading this and the first thing I was telling Robert about this, but the first thing that came to my mind was we don't have the authority to turn our light switch on and off. 
Like you are either on for Christ or you're off. Like there's no dim setting in here. Like you either commit your life or you don't. Like God doesn't ask for certain parts of your life. Like he tells you to surrender it all to him. And I think that's something we really struggle with because, so I was thinking like something I get really frustrated about is I sit in my room, I read my Bible and I'm like, today's going to be different. And then I get onto the world and I get mad. I get frustrated. I get sad. I get, you know, all these emotions. And then all of a sudden, like I'm in conversations with people and I'm gossiping or I'm just being negative. And I think that that is just like one way that we can't turn our light switch on and off. Like either your light's on and you're telling the world about Jesus and you're living it or it's off. In sports performance world and sports world, you always hear the term like all gas, no brakes. Or the other one is uh, flip the switch on and turn it off or break it so you can't turn it off. That's what we're called to do is you flip on your switch for Jesus and then you break it. So that way the devil can't flip it off. Yeah. So I was reading something this morning to help prep for this. And and the author said that this is talking about the idea that we as Christians are supposed to live in such a distinctly different way that the unredeemed person can catch a glimpse of God. Yeah. And I think, so what was that? There's that verse where it talks about not all things are profitable. profitable. So like there's things in your life that might not be a sin, but if it's not, if it's not setting you apart from the world and truly being a reflection of God, then I think those are even things that we need to try to avoid. So it says everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is um, permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. It's first Corinthians um, six, maybe. No, First Corinthians ten twenty three. Ten. So and then Robert, yours was Romans one twenty five, the one that you were talking about earlier, serving the creature instead of the creator. Um, just when I so this week I was listening to a different podcast and they were talking to a guy who had transformed his life and um, they read First Corinthians six nine through eleven and I don't know if it exactly fits here but I think it's a good little section of scripture so I'm going to read it. And it says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor I adulterers, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the spirit of God. And I think that is what we have to keep in focus because we were these things. We were these awful things. We were the gossipers and the adulterers and all of those things. We, I mean, at some point, all of us have committed a sin, but because we have been washed by the blood of Jesus, God has transformed our lives. And so because we love Jesus so much, not because we are required to do certain good things to get to heaven, but because we love Jesus so much, we do good deeds and people see those. And that's a direct reflection of Jesus in our life. And I think that's just a really powerful testimony. And you shouldn't just go around saying to yourself, oh, I did all these good things, but I never talked about Jesus. So people will still know that I have Jesus in my life. I think there's still an element of proclaiming that and being open about your faith. But I do think that your actions and the way that you live play a huge role in your testimony and how people other other people view you and can see Jesus working in your own life. Well, I think good, you know, God is love. First John 4, where it talks about God is love. And that is showing love to people when you do things for people. And so like that gives people a vision that helps people see the invisible God that we serve through the love because God is love. So when we love people, people are going to be like, holy cow, like Mm -hmm. that is God working because that's true. Like we had a storm here 
when was that last weekend? Yeah, last weekend. And everyone was out, you know, there was people out cutting trees in the middle of the storm. And we helped, you know, people help their neighbors get trees off their houses and stuff like that is ministry right there. Just showing the love that you'll take your time out of your day, even though your yard is covered in sticks too, to go help your neighbor out. Yeah, I think one thing that I have come to the realization of here recently, and it's actually kind of like blown me away, is a lot of times I get frustrated because I feel like I can't quote unquote see God. But what I've learned is that a lot of times the relationships I have with other believers is the closest glimpse I'm going to get to the love that God has for me. And if your life is not reflecting that to other people, then you're missing an opportunity to show them who God is. And I think that's like a really cool image of like, even like we see the example of marriage. Like I think marriage, it's it's like God and the church, right? Like his bridegroom is the church. And so a marriage here on earth is a great way to reflect God's love and union with us. And I think we miss that a lot of times, but I think there's examples just throughout our different relationships through love that we can see God pretty clearly um, here on earth. First Corinthians nine nineteen. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. Are you a slave to others? Mm. Let's be honest here. Let's reflect on that question for a second. Are you a slave to others? And I can honestly say, I am selfish more than I am a slave to other people because we should be at the point in our lives. I mean, this is no excuse for me that if someone asks for something or needs something, it should be no question because like we're talking about love. And that doesn't mean I do it for righteous, my, my own, my own reason. So it's like, Oh, if I do this, can you imagine what people are going to think of me? Yeah. No, that's not why we do this. We do this to be a slave to all so that we can win more as it says here. And by win, it's not even about us. It's about growing the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter who brings you to Christ. It doesn't matter if we, if you bring someone to Christ, like you, the only reward you're going to get that is worth anything on this earth is getting to go to heaven. And that is only through Jesus. It's not through anything we can do on this earth. You could be the best person in the world and it doesn't matter if you don't know Jesus and you don't love. What's that? Where's that at where it's like? If you have love, then it means nothing. A banging symbol. It's it's first Corinthians. No, he's thinking of a different one. Is it, no, it's still First Corinthians 13. Because yeah. they quote that in that song. Oh, yeah. That- if I speak with tongues of men and, and of angels but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. If I have a gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. And love is not jealous. Love does not brag. Love is not arrogant does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is, is not provoked. does not take into account a wrong suffered. Love never fails. That's 1 Corinthians 13. Read that. I also think really a lot of times, like I was talking to Cecilia about this last week, because this was something I was struggling with, was I was like, I think I'm doing everything right. The best of my abilities. I, I hate failure. I cannot fail. Like none of us can. None of us siblings here can. Like we struggle with failure a lot. But I just felt like it's like serving God felt like a never ending Like I was just going to continue to fail. Like no matter how hard I tried, I was always going to fall short. And I think that a lot of times I forget that God's grace does cover that. Like, but you have to truly pursue him. So don't just like not try because, oh, God's grace has got me. But you do have to realize that though you're going to try to love others as best as your ability, you're always going to fall short. So Robert. Let me read this. This is awesome. No, you're good. Therefore, be in imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us in offering and sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. 
So you go. I mean, grace is a hard thing for me to accept because once I do fail, I have a really hard time forgiving myself. <laughs> and the idea of grace is something that I've had to grow in a lot. And um, it's not like we've talked about before. It's not like a list of good deeds. Like I do this and this and this and this and this and this and this, and then I'll be good enough for God. Because the point is that we're never, ever going to be good enough for God. So I was reading a Facebook post of a girl that I went to college with who's walking away from the church this week. And she has been disillusioned by a lot of things. And I think it's because she's been surrounded by a lot of people that aren't truly loving Jesus the way they should be. But as a follow-up post to her, as a comment to, to her post, she talked about in order to make herself feel like a, she used to feel like to be a good person, she had to follow God, um, that God was what made her a good person. But now she realizes, you know, she's a good person anyway. And she, every day she lists all the good things that she did for everyone else. And as I read that, I was just sad because we're all sinners and we all fall short. And without God, we don't have anything. We're not worth anything. It's not. And, and to get to the point where you just think you can make it on your own. And I think that is such a problem in our culture today. Like it's not about what truth is. It's what we want and what we think. And so that's when we get all these people telling us, even Christians like, well, who are you to judge me or tell me that I can't do this? Or who are you to say that that's wrong? Like, but we have to be willing to stand on the truth because without truth, there is nothing. And, and when we, um, give into culture and we soften, then our, it doesn't matter anymore because our testimony and our, um, just the way we live our life, it, it doesn't speak as loud for Jesus because we're not, we're not living radically for him anymore. And I think especially like what we're seeing a lot on social media, at least what I see with people my age is a lot of like what Cecilia is saying, where like you can't judge blank or, you know, all these things. But I think what we forget is that it is because of our sins and our shortcomings that we have to rely on God. If we were perfect, we wouldn't need God, right? And I mean, that's how it is. And we can't just be like, we can do it all on our own. Which if is- we were perfect, we would need a savior. And that exactly. was the point I never wrapped my mind around until a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And so I'm going to, do I want to be imperfect? No. Am I going to be happy when I sin? No. But am I going to realize that it is God who can do like, who can save me from these things? Like if I was perfect, I would never rely on God. And like, that's the whole thing of like, we talk about a lot is when life is going good, you don't rely on God. But that's why like people who don't live in America and want to follow God and are persecuted for it. That's why their faith is so good because they have no other choice but to rely on God. And here in America, we're so comfortable that we have no reason except on Sundays to glorify God. And on Sundays, it's a social club. We don't even speak the truth anymore. It's all about walking in there. Ha ha ha. Let's sit around the campfire, sing Kumbaya and make everyone feel all good on side. Let's tickle some ears here, boys. Are you kidding me? So matter of life and death. Speak the truth, people. You get fired. You get fired. It's a suitcase sermon. Stephen got stoned for his faith. I was going to say, there's a couple things. Number one is you don't necessarily need to leave church feeling all good about yourself. You're not there for you. You're there to meet with the the brother, the, what do you call it? The other believers. The brethren. The brethren. The brethren. You're there with the brethren. So let's take it kind of a controversial issue for an example. We see a lot of people around our age who are starting to accept practices such as like homosexuality because I think they don't want to hurt other people's feelings. And because those people, you know, are allowed to choose and do whatever they want. Love, love, right? Love. Yeah. But 
But there, I love you so much. I don't want you to go to hell because that's what's going to happen. Well, and and that's and I guess what I'm trying to demonstrate here is grace. There is a balance here between grace and truth. And I think that there is a time and definitely you should love those people and you should walk with those people. Because but, they're sinners and we're sinners. Yeah. And they're sinners just like we are. We used to be those things and we no longer are because of Jesus. But it's very clear in the Bible, regardless of how you read it, and there are people that will tell you otherwise, that God thinks homosexuality is wrong. Wait. So, so can you reread that verse you read earlier about – Which one was that? That verse about – it talked about condemned oh. hell or whatever. <laughs> that verse. Yeah. You want to say you read it earlier. Hold on. I got to find it. Um, but – James 4, 4, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And so this has been something that Adam and I have talked about a lot recently. So we have these pride festivals, right? We were listening to something on the radio one time, and this homosexual lady was talking about how they were going to do stuff that was like sexually driven, like promiscuous. What other festivals do you go to that you're allowed to do certain things like that ever? You don't. So why, number one, sorry, why are they above the rest of us? Because culture says that it's okay. Culture doesn't want them to feel like they're attacked. But regardless of what you believe, the Bible says it's wrong. And that doesn't mean we can't love them. It doesn't mean that we should go up to them and scream at them about how they're going to hell. Right. But it's wrong. And we need to stand on that. You can't give in to things just because you don't want to. You don't want to face the wrath of people because I think, regardless, as Christians, I think more and more we're going to see that because there's things that people are standing on that are wrong, and somebody You'd has rather to rather face it. the wrath of people or the wrath of God. Let's be honest about that one. Yeah. So, and as I think, so let me jump into something kind of. It's, it's related. So I love the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel. I think it's Daniel 3. And the king makes – they're like some of the king's top, top advisors. The king makes this statue or idol thing that everybody's supposed to bow down to when the music plays. And the three men refuse to bow down. So the king gets mad and says, okay, you're not going to bow down to it. I'm going to throw you into the furnace. And um, – Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. So they didn't answer him because he's not who they have to answer to. But they said, If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And that's the kind of courage we need to have when we face our culture. Because we need to know that God can save us, but even if he doesn't, he is still on the throne. He is still in control and he will reward us for our faithfulness. And what an amazing testimony for people too, once they see our, once we take a stand. So we talked about how salt can be used as healing and preservation, but salt only works when it comes in contact with what you're trying to preserve or heal. Mm-hmm. So are you clicky with, are, are you abstaining from getting yourself into the world to even make an impact? Are you being clicky and only communicating and doing, doing 
Christianity on one day a week with other believers? Or are you doing Christianity every day in close contact with unbelievers, with the world where you can actually make an impact? Like you can't just, if you want your, to preserve something, you can't just, you know, stand 25 feet away from it and try to throw salt at it. Right. You actually have to physically rub it. And we are called to be salt. So are you coming in close contact with the world to where you can make an impact while abstaining from being transformed by the world? Yeah. I mean, that goes back to verse 14. It says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. If you're, so we've talked about this multiple times here today, just in general, but like your life reflects God, not because there's a checklist of things that God expects from us, but because once he starts to transform your heart, your every action, your every thought and your every word is going to change. And you can't hide that. Like if that's true, if Christ, if God is truly in you and you are truly following him, there's no way you can hide that. You have to realize what he did for you, which is oh. something that a lot of people don't, they miss, you know, like they go to a church on Easter and they're like, the crucifixion, he rose from the dead. But literally, Jesus died for you on the cross. Yeah, He died for every sin you will ever make on that cross. Well, I think that even translates back to the idea of love. Like when we're saying love other people, like there's no reason you shouldn't when you think about how much God loved you. And if you like, if you truly can grasp the magnitude of God's love for you and the magnitude of the fact that he sent his only son to die the worst possible death for you, then that love is going to radiate to everyone around you because you realize what God did for you. Like you don't love, I mean, there's a verse where it's like, you don't love because God, you love because God first loved you. Well, you love others because God has already shown that love to you. It's like, when you know there's like that whole trend where when you go through a drive through and you someone pays for your meal, well, you need to like pay, pay it, forward. it forward, right? Well, it's kind of the same idea. Like God loved forward. you. God sent his son to die for you. Therefore, you need to go out and you need to love others. Pay it forward. Pay it forward. Pay forward God's love today, folks. But I, like, I think, like, I mean, <laughs> shoot, I can, I can be completely honest. Like, Jesus dying on the cross for me, like, in order for your life to change, you have to truly realize the magnitude of that. And mm. I, I don't grasp. I that. miss that, and it's so hard to grasp. But if you like, literally think like every wrong I've ever done came well, is forgiven because yeah. of what He did on the cross. Well, I think there's nothing on this earth that really you can truly like experience that type of forgiveness and like that type of love. And I think that's what I struggle with is I try to think of like the person who I think loves me the absolute most. Right. And still, when I do something wrong, like I'm still getting trouble for that, or I still, you know, like there's still punishment there. And while God is like that, um, he, his grace covers you. And so it's kind of, I was talking to someone, they're like, think about the person that loves you the most. Now imagine that times a million and that's God's love for you. And like, we can't even grasp that because here on earth, we'll never see a full demonstration of God's love because it's unmatchable. Like we see that in the, in the cross, but it's hard for us in our everyday when you're like, when we're sitting here doing this podcast or when you're eating breakfast or like all these things to realize how, how great God's love is for you. And it's personal. It's not just like you have to make, you have to realize that the cross was for you. Like it's a personal thing. You have to come to the realization of that. And when you come to the realization of that, you're not going to want to disappoint the guy who's given you a way out of this earth, the way with no more pain, no more suffering. 
a guy who has taken away every wrong you've ever done. Like, how do you disappoint someone who did that for you? And in Luke 7, there's a parable from 40 to 50 about the parable of the two debtors. And it said, one owned 500 denarii and the other 50. And the master forgave them both. And they asked, you know, which one, which one do you think was more thankful? And there's like the one that was forgiven the 500. Like, that's us. Like, it, it, we have sinned so much that right. it's unreal. Like, right. and does grace abound? Yes. Yeah, it does. But that doesn't mean you can just go around and willy nilly yep. do whatever you yeah. want. Like, there should be such a love for Jesus for what he did for you that you shouldn't want to disappoint him. Yeah. And I mean, it all, I mean, we've talked about it, but this all sounds pretty negative, right? Like you're, whatever you do, you're a sinner, whatever you do, you're going to fall short, but God's grace, it's got you. Right. But I would say just every day you need to wake up and you need to get to know God better. You need to serve God more. You need to correct, like Cecilia talks about the idea that you shouldn't still be struggling with the same sin you were struggling with a month ago. Like you just have to always constantly be striving for better, striving to get closer to God, striving to know his word more. My big thing is I, I struggle because in the Bible, everything's so radical. Like mm. stuff you read about, they're like going out, like doesn't matter where they're going. They're just going crazy, performing miracles, like being so radical. And the thing about our culture is it's so broken and so screwed up that if you literally just go out and love God and love people, you are being just as radical yeah. because it is so screwed up. And that's literally what we're called to do. So you go. So I've got a couple things, but the one thing that I've been thinking about a lot and the things I've been listening to and stuff is the idea of consumerism. Oh, yeah. And and we all are, I think, taught from a young age in school, if not from our parents, like the idea of the perfect life is having 2.5 kids, a dog, a good house, two cars, whatever else. And the idea that you just want to keep moving up in your company and have more and more and more money, more and more stuff. And so some way I think that we as Christians can live radically is to give up our stuff, to live more simply, to be more willing to give instead of receive things like even just buying stuff for ourselves, but giving for other people. And I think that fits into um, the way God looks for it for us in the first place. Yeah. I think for me, what I've been convicted of a lot recently is that my prayer life has been very transactional between me and God. Like it's been very like, God, I'm asking for these things, blah, 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 blah. But it's never like, I'll give you my life in return or like anything like God, our relationship with God is not transactional. And I think that's also hard for us to understand. But God just calls us to surrender everything. So like Cecilia said, maybe that's materials and like that's going to be pretty radical in our society. Um Maybe it's just surrendering pride, anxiety, like small things. I think I'm echoing. Am I echoing? It's not too bad. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would say like that in itself is pretty radical you in gotta, our society. You got to realize you're nothing. Like without Jesus, you can't do anything to get off this earth. You can't, you are literally just a sinner without Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's literally like, it doesn't matter if you're a millionaire, a billionaire, if you're the president of the United States, if you're just some poor dude who doesn't have a home. Without Jesus, you're just a sinner. But with Jesus, you have this hope of eternal life and your sins are forgiven. And it doesn't matter who you are, what color you are in that. Go. Go. 
Okay, I'm just going to read Romans 8, 31 through 39, because I just love this chapter, and I think it just gives you, like, the hope of, it just can say it better than I could ever say it. So here we go. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes. Rather, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered a sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Yep. There it is, folks. We're all sinners, but with God, we've got hope. So go out, love God, love others. Please don't be transformed by the world. It drives me crazy. Like, if you know the way, the truth, like John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you know... If you are aware of the path to salvation, do it. Don't change it just because it makes one person uncomfortable. And don't add anything to it either because you don't need to. It's simple. Don't ruin the simplicity of the gospel and don't be afraid to stand up to people who are preaching the wrong thing to people. Don't be afraid to stand on truth. Yeah. Please, please. It is literally a matter of life and death and it drives me crazy. So please never have to defend scripture. Let scripture speak for itself. All right, guys, we have went on and on and on. Go out, serve God, love God, love others, live radically. Robert. Pursue the cornerstone. Have a great week.